attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And let's stop there and make a couple of comments. We start seeing in this portrait here why salvation is so great. Because while we were dead in our trespasses and sins without hope, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, was willing to leave heaven. Listen, he didn't need it. He didn't need you. Because if he did, he would, no longer, he would not be God. But yet he willingly set aside his throne in heaven. He came to this earth. He wrapped himself in flesh. He lived a sinless life. He was the spotless, sinless lamb of God. He went to the cross. He hung and bled on the cross, not because of his sin, but because of your sin, because of my sin. He was put in a borrowed tomb, and he was raised again on the third day, and then God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what makes salvation so great. But let me say this, salvation is not a one-time event. It's often referred to as being born again, having a new birth. And you know what? When a baby is born, it's not the end, right? As a matter of fact, a healthy baby starts the process of growing and becoming a mature adult. And it is the same way with our salvation. If you look at the scriptures in 1 Peter 2 and 2, the apostle Peter says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. But unfortunately, not everybody that grows old grows up. So how do we grow up in the aspects of our salvation, respect to our salvation? And as with many other things, we tend to, think, to take things to one or two extremes. We see this throughout just about any issue. You've got the extreme of legalism versus the extreme of license. And then you've got the extreme of worshiping in spirit versus 
Worshiping in truth. My question is this. Why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't there be a balance? And this is the same thing with our salvation. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. There is that belief that says simply this, that it's all up to God as far as my growth and salvation. These people would live by the motto of the list, just let go and let God do it. But then there's this other side that gives you, that leads you to a ditch that says if it's going to be, it's all up to me. And that's going to run you into a ditch. But we've got to have balance in this growth of our salvation and realize it's not necessarily one, it's not necessarily the other, but there's a balance. And I believe that Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it presents the perfect balance on how we are to grow up in the aspect of our salvation. Look what he says here. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now let's talk first of all, forget the verse 13, what this verse does not mean. This verse does not mean that you can do what you want to do and I can do what I want to do, even though we've used that before, say, well, I'm just going to work out my own salvation. First of all, it's not your salvation, it's his salvation. It's not your faith, it's his faith. But it also does not mean that you've got to work for your salvation. Notice what he says. He says, not work for your salvation. He says you should work out your own salvation. See, it's by grace that you have been saved. It's a gift of God. You're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. He says, verse 9, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. And so he tells us, you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I want you to realize this morning, I got two points. I don't mean we're going to get out here in 10 minutes though. The first thing we see in verse 12 and 13 is we see our part in verse 12. And then in verse 13, we see our partner. Okay? You've got our part and then you've got our partner. Let's talk about our part this morning, verse 12. Look what he says. He says, so then my beloved, and notice he calls them beloved. In other words, these are saved people, okay? He says, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so the first thing we got to realize about salvation is this. There's three aspects of salvation, okay? 
The first aspect of salvation is what we would call justification. And justification is the part that deals with our past. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are saved, you are justified. That deals with your past. You are declared righteous. Okay? Just as if I had never sinned. That's justification. Then we move to the second part of our salvation, which is sanctification. And and I know there's some debate on this, and we got positional sanctification, we got progressive sanctification, but sanctification deals with our present. Okay? It deals with our present life, where we are now. The past has been dealt with, and now we move into sanctification. Let me, let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, look what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, now look what he says here, who are being saved. You say, I thought I was saved. Well, you are if you, if you, if you confess Jesus Christ, your Lord, and sin, repent of your sin. You are saved. But he says here, I'm being saved. Well, this is talking about Sanctification, growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says it again in 2 Corinthians 2 and 15. Look, he says, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. In other words, we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, right? And so we are growing in grace. We're growing in knowledge. We're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That is the process of sanctification. But then you got, got justification deals with the past. Sanctification deals with the present. And then the third aspect is glorification. What is glorification? Well, you won't get it on this side. Okay? You not get glorified on this side. Paul says in Romans 13, 11b, talking about glorification. He says, do you do this knowing the time that the hour for you to awaken from your sleep? Then look what he says. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. This speaks of our glorification. In other words, every moment you live, you are that much closer to receiving the end of your salvation, which is when you get a new body, you are glorified. You get a body just like Jesus Christ. Now, we, 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 we've been saved, uh, saint, then you be, you're sanctified, but then there's going to come a time when you're going to be glorified. You're going to be just like Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting that the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, he says you're called, he says you're glorified. He used all of those in past tense. In other words, he talks about how, 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 uh, how, how certain that is for us. And so we got to understand that, listen, salvation is a process. It's a process. We are supposed to grow and become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so how do we become more like Christ? So that's a great question. And it is simply this. It is through obedience of the word. Look what he says. Go back to verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. Just as you have always 
obey. See, you can't advance spiritually without obedience in the word and the Holy Spirit conforming us and transforming us into the image of Christ Jesus. This is how you grow. This is how you become more like Jesus Christ is by obeying the word of God. See, obedience is one of the main evidences of being saved. Jesus said in John 14 and 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then 1 John 3 and 24 says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. And then 1 John 5, 2 and 3 says this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, what? That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. They were given to us for a reason and that was to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. That was to help us purify ourselves. That was to help us sanctify ourselves and be conformed to the image of Christ. See, we've got all the information, but we just don't have application. And so he says, listen, you've always obeyed, but look what he says, continue on this verse. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul is telling them, listen, you can't solely depend on me for your spiritual growth. Don't allow my absence to be an excuse for your lack of spiritual growth. Do you realize if you work for a boss, okay, how much better you work when the boss is around? Yeah, some of you laughing like you know. Hey, the boss is not here. We can take it easy now. Right? That's what people say. And what Paul is saying is, listen, just because I'm not there to hold your hand, don't let that be an excuse for why you're not growing in the Lord. Don't let that be an excuse for why you're not growing up in your salvation. Do you realize that we live in a time, and you, I know you know this, we live in a time unlike any other I have seen because we live in a time when people no longer accept personal responsibility. They don't accept personal responsibility. Everyone plays the victim. Think about it. Everyone plays the victim. It's always somebody else's fault. We used to blame the devil. Then we blame the society. And now we blame our genetics as the reason why we are what we are. But let me tell you something. You have a responsibility, a personal responsibility for your growth in Christ. As a pastor, I can help you. I can assist you. We can set up ministries here from the nursery all the way up to college and career, all the way up to young at heart. We can have those things, and those things can assist you in your spiritual growth, but they can't do the work for you. 
They can't do it for you. You have a responsibility for your growth in Christ. See, laziness is like a millstone around the neck of a believer. And living out your salvation is not easy work. And too many Christians are trying to get by on Christian welfare. Right? We want all the benefits, but we don't want to work. We want all the benefits of our salvation, but yet we don't want to work it out ourselves. See, let me tell you something. Now, I know this is not a newsflash, but God is not going to make you come to church. He ain't going to do it. He's not going to get you up and wake you up and say, now you need to get up and go to church. i say something else. God is not going to make you read your Bible. He's not going to do it. Also, he's not going to make you pray. Now, he may take you to, through some things that will make you more inclined to go to church, that will make you more inclined to read your Bible, that will make you more inclined to pray, but he's not going to do this for you. You've got to work out what God is working in. You've got to put forth some effort on your salvation. That word work out means to work fully, to work to the finish. And it's not easy. Let me show you some scriptures. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. He says, now for this very reason also, apply all diligence. That isn't let go and let God. He says you've got to apply all diligence in your faith. You've got to supply more excellence. And in your more excellence, you've got to supply. Now, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not going to bring anything to your knowledge if you don't put anything in there. He's not there to make you lazy. I was doing a funeral with one guy one time, and so I asked him about 10 minutes before. I said, well, make sure I'm not going to step on your scriptures because I'm going first. What you got? He said, I don't know yet. He said, I'm just going to get up there and let the Lord speak to me. Now, some of y'all may think that's spiritual, okay? And you may get excited when somebody would say that. But my question to you is this. Can the Holy Spirit not move on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in your preparation? Can he not? And so a lot of times we use this as a reason to get lazy in our study, to get lazy in our Christian walk. And so he says here, you've got to apply these things. You've got to do it diligently. He says in 1 Peter 2 and 11, he said, you've got to abstain or hold yourself back from the passions of the flesh. In other words, you've got a job to do. You yourself has got to hold yourself back. You yourself need to abstain. from. In other words, that requires your effort. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, flee immorality. In other words, that requires an effort on your part. See, God didn't make Joseph get up and run out. No, he chose to do that, and he flew, he, 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 he fleed, if I can say that right, away from the temptation. Continue on. 
Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 22. He says, now flee from youthful lust. In other words, you've got a part to do. And also, you've got to pursue. That means chase. That means an effort. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You've got to work at it. It's not just going to happen automatically. Now, what about... Some positives. 2 Timothy 2.15. Look what he says. Paul says to Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. One translation says, study to show yourself approved. In other words, you've got a part to do. You've got to do something. It's not Christian welfare. You've got work to do. And then 1 Timothy 4, 16 says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. That requires effort on your part. That does not sound like let go and let God. This sounds like it requires some kind of work on our part. And so we've got to work out our salvation. Let's, let's kind of get it where we can understand, or some of us can at least. Listen, if I was to work out physically... And I know you look at me and say, I know you don't when I don't. Okay? I do not receive a new body from that workout. But I develop the body I already have. Okay? And so working out your salvation is developing what God has already entrusted you with. See, and he says this. He says work it out with fear and Trembling. Now, what does that mean, fear and trembling? Because Paul uses this a couple other times in, the, in, in his writings about doing stuff with fear and trembling. Well, fear does not mean like a prisoner is afraid of a, 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 a prison warden. It's not like that kind of fear. But what this fear is, it is a fear or a respect that a son has toward his father. And so, listen, as I was growing up, you know, these people that say, oh, my dad's my best friend. My dad's still living. He's not my best friend. Because my best friend didn't wear me out when I'd done something wrong. Okay? I didn't need my dad to be my best friend. I needed him to be my dad. Because he needed to, he needed to jerk a knot in me sometimes. But I love my dad. And when I lived underneath his house, I didn't go up and say, hey, old man, what you doing? I didn't talk to him like I would talk to one of my buddies, but I loved him and I didn't want to hurt him because I knew if I hurt him, he's going to hurt me, right? I had a fear, a respect for him because I knew he was the father and he had the ability to meet out punishment as it needed to be meted out and so what Paul is saying listen your salvation is not something to be taken lightly it's not something to be taken half-heartedly it is something that you have got to work out with fear and also with trembling with quaking why should we work it out with fear and trembling because this if you go back up to the previous verse verses in verses 5 through 11 there's going to come a time when every single one of us will bow the knee 
and we will give an account for what we have done with what we have been given. And you listen, when you know you've got to give an account, you don't just do things haphazardly. When you know somebody is watching you, you realize, I've got to give an account for this, and so I'm going to work hard at this with fear and with trembling. And so we see our part. We've got effort. We've got to do some things. We've got to do some things. Listen, when I come into God's house, I love a good song, and I've got some of my favorite songs. But you know what? As long as the song they're singing is scripturally correct, I may not like the beat. I may not like certain aspects about it, maybe the rhythm of it. But if it's glorifying God, I've got to discipline myself to say, you know what, I'm coming to church today. I'm here to worship the Father. I'm here to worship the Father. Even when I don't feel like it, I worship the Father. I worship Jesus Christ because of what he's done for me. That's, it's all about discipline yourself and not just simply doing things because you feel like it. There's a lot of times I may not feel like coming to church. Yeah, absolutely. I may not feel like it. But you know what? Because I am supposed to, because the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know what I do? I get up and I go to the house of the Lord. And when I get there, I'm changed by his presence. Why? Because I simply am doing what God has commanded me to do. And so there's things that you've got to do. There's an effort that you've got to put forth. So that's, it. that's our part. But the second thing is this. We see our partnership. Verse 13. He says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You, you see the balance there. It's not just simply if it's going to be, it's up to me. That's a ditch that leads you in. It's not just simply let's let go and let God. That's another ditch on the other side of the road. No, there's a balance there that says, listen, let's go and let God. Let's go. It's not just God. It's me and God. It's our partnership with God. And let's kind of break this verse down here. He says, first and foremost, it is God. Think about it. It is God. Growing in holiness is an insurmountable task on my own, but it is God who is living inside of me, the one that can do the impossible. Do you realize if you are a child of God, God is with you, he is in you, God is working in you. It is God, and then he says, who is at work? Now, that word work in the Greek is the Greek word energio. Does that sound like an English word we know? Maybe energy, right? In other words, that God is not just passively sitting by. He is actively at work in your life. In the Greek tense, it is present tense, which simply means this, that every moment of the child of God's life, 
God, every moment of, of the life of a child of God, God is at work in them. See, God doesn't take Memorial Weekend off, praise God. God doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't take a nap. He doesn't need a sabbatical. God is always at work in us. When I'm sleeping at night, God's at work. When I'm on the mountaintop, God is at work. When I'm in the lowest valley, God is at work. When I can't see him, God is at work. When I can't feel him, God is at work. He is at work in you, child of God. He's at work. He's at work. What an awe-inspiring thought to know that God the creator of the universe, the one that spoke everything into existence, right now is in this old mortal body of mine. And he is working. But how is he working? He says he's at work in you. In you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You should never go to a church service and say, well, he's just not here today. No, he's here every time I come. Why is he here? Because I brought him with me. He goes with me to the grocery store. He goes with me to the hardware store. He goes with me to work. He goes with me if I go play golf or what? if I go hunting. He is with me and he is working on me. He is constantly working on me. What is he doing in his work? Go back to verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you. What does he say there? Both to will, which means God is the cause of it. He gives you the desire. In other words, when you have a desire to study God's word, God is the author of that. When you have a desire to pray, God is the author of that. He's the one that gives you the desire to do that. See, within myself, I don't want to do what I want to do. But God in me, he gives me the desire, the will to work. So not only is God the cause but God is also the effect in your life. In other words, he's the one that is giving you the results in your life. Now, I'm, there's, listen, I know people say, well, that's all God. No, that's not all God because it's not that good. When I preach, it's me and God. If it was all God, it'd blow you away. But it's me and God working, Right? It's me and God working. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. In Psalms 127, when the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, that's one builder, they that work, they that build, they labor in vain. That's two, that's builder 1A, God, 1B, me and you. 
It's a partnership here. And so he says, God is the one that has given you the will, which is the desire, the cause. And God is the one that has given you not only the will, but also to work. That is the effect for his good pleasure. Let me say this right here. God ain't the reason why you're working that sin. That's you. That's all you. If you're doing something that goes against God's word, that's not God doing that. That's you doing that. See, because what God works in you is for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. For his glory. For his honor. For his praise. And so we see that everything in verse 12 and 13 is about work. This is not passivity. It's not spectator sport. It is our working with God, doing our part, and God being our partner. This does not mean that God is going to do it for us, but it does mean that God is going to supply the working power to help us do what we cannot do. Come on, be playing. Let me give you some good news to end this on this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I got a bunch of them, but this is one of my favorite ones as well. Where the Apostle Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will finish it. He will bring it to completion until the day that God calls me home or unless Jesus comes back to this earth and I'm still living. Now, how many has got unfinished projects around the house? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I've got it, I had in my mind the last couple of weeks there were some projects I wanted to do. And I found out that if a preacher or a pastor ever starts questioning his calling, all he needs to do is go get him a shovel and a wheelbarrow and go outside and start digging some things and moving some stuff around. And you'll hear the word of, you'll hear God speaking to you clearly. No, that's not what you're supposed to do. You called to preach. <laughs> but it seems like every time I would get something done, something else. And then you'd look at what you just done, you're like, I don't even like that. Let me redo that. It's always a constant thing. And so what happens is we wind up with a hundred different projects around the house and they're all about 50% to 75% done before we move on to something else. But God is not like that. Okay? What God starts, Paul says, what God begins, he's going to finish it. 
How do we know that? Well, we see it through his word. You see it in creation. When God started creation, he rested on the seventh day. Because why? Because he said, it is finished. I'm done with this work. What about the work of salvation? When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he hung on the cross in John 19 and 30, I think it is. And what did he say? He said, it is finished. God is going to finish what he started in you. But listen, it's not about just simply letting go and letting God. There's a part, there's an effort on your part. We're in partnership with God. And if you've got great things to do, you might as well make God your partner. You might as well make God your partner. Because God is working on you. Can we stand?